Are we talking at mass or are we talking in the office? The mass. I think in the office you never read the introduction, correct? Correct. Is that correct, Doug? I guess it is now, yeah. But in mass, we are supposed to say the first reading or the first No, not the first reading. Read what's in the book. A reading from the letter up. A lot of lectures do say the first reading is from the blah, blah, blah. But you're not supposed to do that. Read what's in the book. Okay, so the word first isn't in there. The word second isn't in there. Responsorial sum is in red. So you don't read that. You just intone the first antiphon. Okay, is that helpful? Thank you. Okay. Especially since it's in red, right, Deacon? Is that why you're sure. saying that? Right. <clears throat> anyway, the, the, the theory, at least, Doug, is that everybody's got a book. So they all, there's no need to announce it. Whereas in mass, okay, faith comes by hearing that hopefully when you are reading from the ambo, you are reading so powerfully uh, that people don't want to be looking at their books. They want to be looking at you. Um, that making a kind of glimmer of sense? Yep. Okay. And if, if everybody in the whole place is looking down at their, their if you will, following along in the missalette, then one begins to wonder whether you're not proclaiming clearly enough that they but need back. Yeah, people don't have missalette because it is pandemic. There's no, no Yeah, that, uh, that, that is true, Peter. Uh, although, in fact, in some places, it's beginning to change because the those who get yearly replacements, okay, those came in the mail because that's a standard order. You couldn't get rid of it for the just the one year. And so what some parishes have done, mine included, is to have the box of missalettes there in the entranceway, tell people to take one, but then keep it and bring it back and forth with them. Uh, otherwise, in other words, that they would wound up, you know, in a sense, being wasted. Um, yeah, we did this. We did the same thing. Okay. Great minds think alike, George. Exactly. You know, my pastor. <laughs> and George's think alike. Right? It wasn't my idea. Right? Okay. I, it was mine. Okay. We threw away the Easter ones. So. Um, and, and, and also, there was that, you know, on daily mass, people, people, I'm going to say it's usually the elderly that we have at morning mass. Okay. And after mass, they're going to go shopping. The odds of their bringing the missalette with them are kind of low. So I wouldn't plan on needing them to have, you know, big responses out of the book. Um, but maybe on Sundays, more people will, will do it. We'll see what happens. Right? It's worth a try. And it's also an encouragement that uh, 
that if they're not going to mass on a particular Sunday, that they've got the readings at least easily available at home. I think most of our people don't know about a website like the bishops, a USCCB, where they could get the daily readings and the Sunday readings. I don't think they know that. Um, you know, and, and certainly my 80 and 90 year olds, most of them are not into the internet. Um, so them having the book at home is a good thing. Okay. So everybody have a, a glass of something to, uh, everybody need to get anything. Anthony, welcome aboard. Thank you. You're welcome. And are you coming in on two different things? Yep, I have it uh, in two in two uh, adjacent offices in case I have to leave one office to go to another. Okay, and everybody's got the notes that I sent to. Okay, and if you didn't download them, obviously you could. I'm not sure whether you can make this me small on the side and go to your computer and. I mean, uh, if you do even with one screen if it's possible to come up with the other pages uh, those of you who've got real fancy and with multiple screens you could be doing this on one screen apparently um, I am not as techy as my daughter is but let me get my something to drink Did everyone have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, yes, thank you. Very nice. Thank you. And Doug, what's you that my trip became all the best from the kids for four days in a row? Yeah, it was good. Okay, you really begin to relish those breaks and three day weekends. Yes, you do. Yeah, much needed. Welcome aboard, John. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Deacon. Mm. Well, my daughter, son-in-law, and my little grandson all have COVID. Uh, hopefully mildly. Yeah, the little guy had 104.5 yesterday, so he got a little hot, but he's doing better today. My daughter's lost her sense of taste today, but they're both um, quite mild other than that. My daughter's a nurse, so like a whole bunch of people in her area got it. Uh, where does she live, John? Patchogue. My wife is telling me it came from her husband, uh, his his partner at work. That he works for the town. It came from him. He got it. So so far so good though. Uh, my understanding is that the CDC today lowered the 
a period of time for the quarantining. I think from 14 to 10 days. Yeah, I saw that. No, they moved it to seven, which is ridiculous, but that's another story. Okay. You would want the full 14, Anthony? Seven to 10, I thought. No, they moved it. No, no, no. So, what? So, first of all, it takes anywhere between four to seven days to become symptomatic. You can be infected for 10 days previous to that, which means you're contagious. So the CDC has been sending out mixed messages throughout this whole pandemic, which is, to me, is ridiculous. So um, as far as I'm concerned, seven days is way too short. As far as I'm concerned, uh, quarantines are fine. You can do 10 days if you want, but you need two negative tests to make sure you're, ne you're not contagious. That's 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 the most that's the safest way of doing this. I think part of the difficulty, though, Anthony, for many of us non-specialists is that the huge backlog in getting results, that by the time you got your results, you could have become infected. And so a negative almost doesn't mean anything. That's, that's, why, you need, that's why you need two tests greater than 24 hours apart. So uh, very simple to get a rapid test. Doesn't take... You know, doesn't take long. Takes two hours to get your your result. And uh, City MD is as well as many other urgent care centers are doing them. They had now have a Becton Dickinson point of care test that takes 15 minutes. So there's no excuse not to get a test. There's no excuse to not use, you know, the uh, the not the symptomatology type of uh, protocol to to bring people back to work or to school or whatever else. It's the testing protocol that's the the most efficient and the safest for everybody in you know wherever you are wherever you work. As you know, at the Hebrew home in Riverdale, you have to be tested every seven days. Correct. So and that's and that's the way it should be in most places, especially if you're dealing with you know a mass amount of people, because these 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 uh, the incidence of of uh, COVID is going up only because people are not are are essentially not following protocol they're not wearing masks they're not socially distancing they're getting it somewhere else they're bringing it in whether it be a hospital a school uh you know anywhere where there are hordes of people and this thing is so contagious that you know once one person gets it they infect four immediately so this is the issue this is why the the testing protocol is the safest and unfortunately the cdc you know, bends to politics and they basically are, they've been sending mixed messages out since the start of this pandemic and it's unfortunate. That's my rant for the evening. No, I, I think it's part of the difficulty with all everything connected with this, uh, one person to, the average Joe Schmo doesn't know uh, who to trust um, and getting a lot of conflicting images, uh, like if, conflicting information, I should say. But I have seven o'clock on the ball. Um, welcome aboard, Danny. Okay, glad to see you. Good. It's a very fancy uh, curtain behind you. 
right. Shall we begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Amen. So our topic for this evening is, in theory at least, the functions of the acolyte. And I gave you this, this little excerpt from the germ, which okay, obviously you could have read in the, the germ itself. Basically, that whole thing is saying that the acolyte is an assistant to the deacon. The acolyte is an installed altar server that what they do differently, if I could summarize that page, is that they would be allowed to purify the vessels if the deacon didn't want to do that. Does that part make sense? Okay. Uh, you guys are lectors. You guys are readers. Uh, and so that second part of the job that even though they are still extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, they're not ordinary ministers, the bishop, the priest, the deacon, they are ordinary ministers, but the acolyte, the installed acolyte is an extraordinary and he does not need any other special installation ceremony. Does that part make sense? So you guys, because you are readers, the general rule is when you are reading, then you are not a server at that mass. Okay. That's what it's supposed to be. In the reality, okay, is that, in other words, it may be, especially in a daily mass, that there is no other person around and that you are doing the reading and the serving. But at this stage of the game, what you're not allowed to do would be to purify the vessels. That part makes sense to people? Okay. But what in a day that you are not scheduled to be the reader, you may still be functioning as an extraordinary minister. Let me by, see by a show of hands, how many of you have never been an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion? Doug, you've never done it. Everybody else has done it. Okay. So, so this is going to be an opportunity for most of you to review. Okay. And Doug, and where sometime in the future, when things have calmed down, we'll practice even more face-to-face uh, -to, -face to show you all the weird things that people can do to cause problems for an extraordinary minister. I'd like to start with, even though it is a truism that a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, Nevertheless, okay, there is a lot that's in this name that we use here. When it first began, okay, um, and I happened to be in that very first group when I was at Mount St. Michael, who were allowed to give out Holy Communion. Uh, 
the the deal was that w- was frequently called extraordinary ministers of the Eucharist, or the shorthand in most parishes was Eucharistic ministers. Everybody has heard that t- kind of terminology, okay? Uh, for a while, out there in Staten Island, okay. Uh, because he was head of the liturgical commission, Monsignor Bill Belford Peter, okay, was the, uh, he was using the term special minister, okay, to avoid the Latinism of extraordinary, okay, and to kind of keep it simpler. In the more recent translations, they have preferred to use They've kept the word extraordinary, not my taste, but I think I can understand it. In other words, this is not the way it ought to be. Okay? But ministers of Holy Communion, rather than using the word Eucharist, so that the minister of the Eucharist is the priest. He's the one who makes the Eucharist. These folk and are engaging in the ministry of distributing Holy Communion, not in the ministry of confecting the Eucharist. Do you see the difference of what they were trying to do in using the term? And probably being careful in terminology would be a good thing to do for all of us. So far, so good. Peter, go ahead. Um, I'm in charge of the Eucharistic um, ministers. So should we now call them ministers of Holy Communion? Correct. Okay. So what's right there on the what's there on the title page? Okay. That that is in this diocese the preferred usage. And again, in words that most people are not really concerned about what the underlying issue is, but nevertheless there is an underlying issue. And good terminology will help to prevent that. With the lectors or the readers, you mentioned there would be like some pastor to give them a mandate of like three years. Is that the same with the ministers for communion? We'll get to that, but yes, okay. But again, probably more honored in the breach than in the observance. Although I would imagine that Monsignor Belford probably who had a lot to do with making up the rules. Um, <laughs> in terms of practicality, it's a great idea. Right? In other words, that nobody, nobody gets the idea that this is something that belongs to them, okay? And that it is an out of the ordinary experience. Um, that it remains a privilege and, and nobody owns it. Okay, I think that's important to get across. We, we were trained when I joined many, many years ago, like it was 27 years ago in my parish. We were trained to become Eucharistic ministers. That's the term they use. Correct. If somebody wants to become a minister, there's no, no class, there's no training. Yeah. Yes, so there is. Well, the pastor, I don't know of anybody been training them. Well, that's why, in other words, if, if you took a look at that website, okay, why Command Central came up with the videos 
to make that job of training people a little bit easier to do, okay, that at least you're giving them the videos, okay? Would that be like my responsibility if I'm head of the ministry? Uh, that, that would be the past. It's the pastor's responsibility. He may delegate it to whomever he wishes, okay? But, but ultimately, the, the selection of who the, these people are going to be really belongs in the pastor's hand because he may be aware of marriage difficulties. He may be aware of scandalous things that are not in the public realm, okay? Um, yeah. There was today. There was a a Zoom meeting of the Archbishop and the clergy of the diocese this afternoon, and one of the things that came up is that they're going to be having reconciliation Monday, the way that they have done it in past years for both Advent and for Lent. Do you remember those vaguely? And the question came up, okay, would it be okay for a priest to hear confessions in the parking lot? Okay. In other words, where he therefore is on the outside, people could come up in their car, roll the window down, okay, make their confession that's keeping the distance, okay? And, and does that fulfill the health requirements yes okay flip side okay there was does it really get across the notion of that this is something way different than driving up to mcdonald's okay or burger king i don't want to be partial to one or the other okay and so what what cardinal dolan mentioned was a, uh, a story that he had heard where a man came in and he went to confession and he said, my wife is in the car and she's afraid of coming out. Okay, could you go out to her? And the priest did that. So in other words, he was saying, obviously there are going to be special circumstances, okay? but that the drive-in window kind of idea is is probably not a good idea. Is everybody understanding the whys of all of this? Okay. Uh, for, uh, America Magazine, I don't have a subscription to it, but I do get their, um, their daily briefing. Uh, and they had an article last week about uh, in one of the Indian reservations that the Jesuits have a ministry to that they're uh, at the beginning of mass they have incorporated certain indian rituals like this what's called apparently the smudge ceremony okay i'm not going to go into the details of it but some tourist was in their parish church and asked if he could take pictures of it and the indian who was conducting that portion of that liturgy gave the answer no, okay? gave the answer no because it was sacred, and therefore wasn't to be filmed. Obviously, the gist of that article was trying to say, yes, these are, these are pandemic times, 
and you know, we are reaching out to people in their their isolation but we probably really should not get used to okay, filming okay, because the live experience is okay, what we are really uh, trying to emphasize am i being clear what i'm trying to get across there so you know it's, it's again always that thing of striking the right balance go ahead peter uh on weddings and so forth you need permission from the priest to take photographs right say that again at weddings photography well, i know certain priests don't like photographs being taken in mass or the certain areas they only could take pictures of or where the photographer can move to. So you should really walk that out, whoever's uh, the priest or the deacon beforehand, correct? Okay, yeah, but remember deacons never make policy, okay? But right. work, deacon, work it out with the, the wedding. Right. Again, it's gonna vary from parish to parish. Some, some parishes for the sacrament of matrimony don't let the photographer come into the sanctuary um and i can see that um i i have now twice and it's thrown me for a loop okay that there are professional photographers at burials now okay um the first time that Okay, remember at, at when we did begin to reopen, um, there, there was a limited number of mourners who could come for a burial, and invariably somebody would have their iPhone up so that all of the people who wanted to be there could at least be participating, and I thought that was a great idea, okay? But when, when I've got professional photographers, you know, who want to move you around, okay, um, for a burial of all things, I, you know, we are now in, a, you know, we've got a kind of culture that if it isn't, if it isn't recorded on the videotape, it didn't happen. Um, My, my, at a baptism, Peter, I will allow them anything okay, uh, because the infant doesn't know what's going on. But I will, in a sense, get them ready for, for a first communion when a child has just received the host and is turning around and doesn't really fully understand all the implications of what Holy Communion means and does okay and the first experience of this is Anne agatha jumping out of a pew and say smile for the camera okay is not aiding the sacredness now that we would want to have for the moment okay okay so but that's my you know, making sense let's look at some of the things that okay the diocese has I'm on page three of the notes. Okay. So if there is that separation out between ordinary ministers 
and extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. Okay, look at that second paragraph, last sentence. When a sufficient number of ordinary ministers is present for the distribution of Holy Communion, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion should not serve. Everybody understand that reality? Okay. If at a, a funeral mass and you have 12 priests concelebrating that funeral mass, there should not be any extraordinary ministers. Everybody make sense? Okay. Flipping over, page four. The reason why extraordinary ministers are allowed is in this point A, so that the rite does not become unduly prolonged. And the second purpose for extraordinary ministers, okay, and I don't think most people realize this, is that it is of tremendous value for the shut-ins. Okay. One of my first experiences was in, in George's parish. Okay. Uh, we are attending mass in St. John's for the first time. Uh, we're new to the parish and people have gone up to communion so as some elderly ladies uh, who their communion took a little bit longer and then they went up into the sanctuary and they were waiting there on the side communion finished and now at the final blessing the celebrant turned to them before he dismissed the congregation and he said to them we commission you to visit the sick to pray with them, to read with them the word of God, and to bring them the body and blood of Christ, and return to us telling us of their needs. And may the blessing of Almighty God, okay? And then those women, okay, left in the same procession out and went out the front door to go visit, okay, those people who were, okay, confined to their homes okay that's one of the earliest okay, duties of deacons right, was to be bringing the blessed sacrament to those who were not able to get to the meeting of the assembly okay and that's something that extraordinary ministers of holy communion do quite well okay okay any questions on that you get a quick question Sure. We're not doing that at the moment, though, correct? We're not supposed to be bringing it to the home now. Um, I, I think it's now allowed. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I know it'd be... I'm doing it. Circumstances, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I don't think that... Whereas we stopped it for a while, I think it's now opened. Okay. Okay. But it may... You know, Again, your pastor will determine right. the right. local circumstances. 
just one second, Deacon. We have that obligation for nursing homes as our pastoral ministry, and I talked to Deacon Frank about it because our church allows us, we're bringing it to the, to the shut-ins. So it kind of also um, satisfies that obligation, George, if, you, if your priest will let you do it. I, I'm, uh, you lost me a little, John. Well, we're supposed to be visiting nursing homes as our pastoral. Oh, okay. Work. Since we can't do it, bringing the communion to shut-ins sort of. Um, I understood. I, but in, in my situation, I, that uh, one of my things that I did, my parish has nine nursing homes. Um, and the Hebrew home okay, that Anthony made reference to, okay, since the beginning of this pandemic, okay, they have not had Holy Communion except as viaticum to the dying. Okay? Because uh, the concern of the medical staff for okay, uh, even cross any kind of cross contamination um so we're kind of we're really looking forward to the the vaccine coming to the nursing home so that we can resume giving out holy communion but those folks are they've not had nothing except spiritual communion since march very difficult okay now I'm on page seven well no I'm sorry I'm page six so the section where he talks about the selection so he wants the people to be at least 18 years old to be a Catholic who's been confirmed, okay, who's not been convicted of murder one, not been excommunicated, and if they are married, to be in a valid marriage, okay? And an individual in the parish may not know that, Okay, that's why, in other words, the selection of these ministers ought to be by the pastor uh, who's got a better, may, maybe has a better handle on okay, some things that are private that don't belong in the public realm. Does that make sense to people? Okay. The next page is on the dean's mandate. Right? I'm going to say that this is a, uh, I think this is probably, at least in my area of the diocese, also ignored. Okay. Um, Is what's written here probably a good idea? Yeah. Okay. Um, But during the time of pandemic is not the time we're going to be able to fix this. And it, the fixing would need to come down from higher authority, okay? But just so that you're aware of what it is, okay? Moving on to page eight. The whole business of turnover that we've talked about before. Now, 
number nine, page nine, that it is possible for a priest who is in, um, let's say that the scheduled extraordinary ministers don't show up and he may ask for somebody who is served at least in that capacity before and he can individually okay, authorize them for that individual mass okay that can be done moving on page 10 they don't foresee and certainly not in this pandemic times that the eucharistic ministers i'm using the wrong terminology should not be part of the entrance procession but they should be close to the sanctuary so that when it's necessary for them to come up they shouldn't be coming up from the back of the church okay which would uh, prolong their arrival they don't need special vesture but they should be dressed shouldn't be cutoffs cutoffs and flip-flops probably are not appropriate you're smiling george right? have you seen cutoffs in that yes in the sanctuary yeah okay not here not in my new uh residence gotcha all right go ahead peter um, <clears throat> it's up to the pastor though right so i've seen in different parishes where the minister is part of the procession i see and and sits in the sanctuary and i've seen where they just sit like in one of the you know, first two rows and they come up on communion time so it's up to the pastor yeah okay okay you see the that back in the in number one okay whenever you see that word should there's a big difference between that and a must, okay, or a must not, okay? But they are seeing, I think what they're trying to do is to underline the extraordinary part of this ministry. That it's because we don't have enough priests, deacons, and acolytes that we've got people doing that. Am I making sense on that? Okay, and if they're part of every procession, okay, then it looks like, oh, well, that's the way it's supposed to be, right? Now, a reader is supposed to be, okay, they should come up, okay, number two, they approach the altar after the priest has received, okay, Holy Communion. Now that's a change, guys, that came from the a change in the germ. So when this began, okay, uh, the original purpose of the Lamb of God chant was to cover the prepara final preparation of things for Holy Communion. If a big host had been consecrated that the breaking of the bread literally into smaller pieces for the distribution of Holy Communion or the, again, we were at that time using flagons and only one cup on the altar. 
so that at the Lamb of God we would bring more cups to the altar. And as the bread was being broken, the blood was being poured out. The rubrics said that the Lamb of God could be repeated as long as necessary to cover the action. So that if it was taking longer to pour things out, they could keep the Lamb of God going. Am I making sense? Of, okay. So that it was a function and it had a musical accompaniment. So Father Belford, who was in St. John's at that time, okay, said, well, if that's the time when we are preparing for communion, that, that would be the time when the special ministers would be coming up uh, so that all of the action was taking place at the Lamb of God. And that I thought that that worked pretty well, but in fact, the germ reversed that and said they don't come until the priest's communion. That clear to everybody? Right? So you may have been, again, Doug's the exception that he hadn't been involved in this. You may have done one thing one time, and then came a change. The other part of the change would have been that in the early days that the special ministers also purified their own cups if they were using the, the cup. Okay. And again, okay, that was a special indult for the United States that Pope Benedict did not renew. And that's why only instituted acolytes or ordinary ministers uh, can be the ones to purify the vessels. Everybody clear on that part? Okay. Moving on. Okay. All right, number three. When you're handing, uh, well, you pick up, we're talking about the host now. You pick up the host and you show it, and you say the phrase, the body of Christ, okay? It is an acclamation. You don't add words. You don't say, this is the body of Christ. You don't say, this is the body of Christ, Anthony, okay? You don't personalize it, but you say it with conviction, okay? So those are the only words that you use. Everybody with me on that? Okay. The part that I happen to like to stress, okay. And here I'm going off topic for a moment. When we use the phrase, the body of Christ, okay. It has lots of meanings. As we're heading for Christmas, the child that came out of the womb of the Virgin Mary, what came out of her womb was the body of Christ, was it not? It had already been Christ from the first moment of conception. When that same body was the body that died on a cross and was buried, but the night before he died, he took bread and said, this is my body. 
So now, if you will, his flesh is the body of Christ. The second possible meaning is the Eucharistic body of Christ. Agreed? When he rose from the dead, okay, his, it was not a resuscitation like happened with Lazarus or the son of the widow of Naim. It was a rec- resurrection. It was a transformation that his physical body remained a physical body but it was changed into a glorified body. Agreed? It was a body that could eat. Give me some flesh to show them that it wasn't a ghost. He could cook fish on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He could say to Thomas, touch me. Okay. It was touchable. And yet at one and the same time that he could be present in that upper room, even though the doors were locked. So it had some of the elements of the bodies that we're used to, and yet it was capable of things that a non-glorified body cannot do. But our tradition adds on another meaning that when he rose from the dead that somehow not only did his physical given birth by Mary body undergo this transformation but he gained another body of all of those who would be baptized into that body Am I making sense of what I'm trying to get across here? So that the church is the body of Christ, that he is the head and we are the members. So when you hold up that, if you will, particle of unleavened bread and you say the body of Christ, you are talking obviously on one level and very valid you're talking about that host is the body of christ correct but the person that you are looking at is the body of christ as well do you follow me okay i'm quoting saint paul you are the body of Christ and individually parts of it. And that identity okay, that you have through baptism and confirmation and previous Eucharists, that identity is being fed so that we can, we can become Christ grown to full stature. Okay? So that there are multiple levels of where is it? The, the importance of okay, that holding it up is not just adoration. Okay? It is that the individuals who are receiving communion are part of that body of Christ as well, which is one of the reasons why we don't say 
this is the body of Christ, okay? Because we don't want to exclude any of the meanings. Comprende? I think enjoy. Go ahead, Steve. Um, I have, I know somebody who's a deacon, a friend, and he, I always thought it was odd. So if he knows you, he'll say, Steve, the body of Christ. He shouldn't be using. Uh, without knowing who it is. Uh, yep, you're right. He should not be doing that. Okay. I, first time I heard that, I thought it was, oh, wow. You thought it was nice, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> but I thought it was odd, too. Okay, so, but, but the problem is, what for the, happens for the people that he doesn't know? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> in other words, that if he, if the people in line before we have the six feet separation heard him say Anthony, Joe, Gertrude, okay, and then you come up, and he doesn't know who the hell you are, okay, are you with me on? Then you might feel left out. So, in a sense, the, the custom in the Latin rite of the Roman church is we don't use a name, mm -hmm. okay? That's not to say that there are other rites who, in fact, use the name all the time, okay? So that whereas we say the body of Christ in the Eastern Church, in the Byzantine rite, the celebrant says, the servant of God, Stephen, receives the body and blood of Christ. Okay? So it's more of a, a declaration of what's going on. Okay? And it's passive voice. The servant of God, Stephen, receives the body and blood of Christ. How does the celebrant know your name? Okay. Because when you go up, you you would go, in my case, George. Okay? And he would then say, the servant of God, George, receives the body and blood of Christ. So you've told him your name. What I'm trying to underline is that there is no there is no mortal sin by using the name, okay? Because there are rites of the church that do do that, okay? But our rite takes a different emphasis, and we don't do that. And we're back to that basic principle, say the black, do the red, okay? Don't add, don't subtract. Okay. okay, I'm going to take the questions. Doug, first. Yeah, I'm thinking, so the form of the sacrament, it's precise words, right? Always. So why is there even some wiggle room here when we talk about communion? Uh, yeah, for us in, in the Roman church. Well, right. even the name. You said it's not a mortal sin, but then again, you vary what? by a word or two in a baptism or a confirmation. No, no what, when I said mortal sin, what I meant to, in, in effect get across the idea that there is another way of doing it to personalize it, which isn't bad, okay? because that's the way it is in the Byzantine rite. I'm trying to show that it's not, a, it's not an evil act, okay? I'm it's not varying the form, obviously, either then, right? Correct, because the form of the sacrament is this is my body which is given up for you. Next question was Peter. I want to make sure I understand. 
Are we supposed to just say body of Christ or the body of Christ? The body of Christ. The body of Christ. The body of Christ. We were. Okay. Unless you're doing it in Latin, in which case you would say Corpus Christi. Or if in if you are doing it in Spanish, El Cuerpo de Christi. Amen. Cristo. Cristo Christi. Cristo. 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 Uh, on, on the same topic, this weekend, uh, last Sunday, we had a lot of people at Mass. And the, the priest asked me to help him distribute the Holy Communion. And obviously, we discussed this before about people that are not receiving, but they have to keep circulating around the pews. So to avoid uh, 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 robbing against other families. Okay. <clears throat> A lot of people were not receiving communion, so that they were just crossing their, their arms. And normally the priest will just say uh, uh, the blessings, but we're not priests or uh, uh, or deacons to be giving out blessings. What do I tell them? I felt awkward. Yeah. Um, God bless you. And yeah, that, that's what. If if a smile is not enough to get them to turn, you know, okay, I, uh, a smile and a nod is not enough. To make God, just God bless. Us. Probably could say God bless us. Us. Yeah. Okay. I, I, okay. That, I, I, that's off the top of my head, going for the safer course. Okay. You're not okay. giving them a blessing. You're invoking God. Yeah. May God bless us. God, or even uh, may God bless us and keep may God keep us all safe. Okay, but quick and you know, no big long, no homily. That worked. <laughs> okay. Any other questions? Okay. So again, some of this stuff is going to come up. One of the things I like about this handout is he deals with a lot of the practicalities uh, that are coming up shortly. Okay. Uh, in number three still. Okay. Uh, in non-pandemic times, it is the choice of the communicant in this country as to whether they receive on the tongue or in the hand. Um, their choice. So if if father thinks that it's not reverent enough, well, that's not his. It's not his to make that rule. Okay. However, in this pandemic, the bishop has asked, okay, that everybody receive in the hand, okay, and that's. Uh, there is, I don't know whether you saw this on the internet, there is some seminary in Argentina that went into schism against their bishop because he said, in this pandemic, please receive in the hand. And they said, we're not doing it. Um, okay. now, that now becomes an issue of authority okay, rather than okay, 
Um, I, I, I occasionally watch the cathedral mass, okay? And what, what I have heard the vicar general say is that if there are people who are going to insist on it, okay, then you ask them to get to the end of the line, okay? So that if, you know, there is any contamination, that there's not going to be contamination, okay? Uh, I think most people, some people who have come up and they've gone out that, I say to them, the bishop is requesting that everybody receive in the hand, and most people, okay, I have found, okay, but I've got a cooperative parish, okay? Is that making sense to people on the, okay? Um, so just this past Sunday night, okay, um, there's always an announcement in our parish when mass starts that the, we're being asked to receive in the hand only. And just this Sunday night, I saw a woman go up. Not only did she kneel down, but she received on the tongue, which then required the priest to stop distributing communion, put put the host down clean his hands with the sanitizer, dry them, and then re begin resuming communion again. Okay. And I, I think I am, I as an individual am pleased with what Father did because it, it kind of shows to everybody else who's a little more sane why we're doing this uh, and that it's, in no way any kind of intended disrespect for the Blessed Sacrament. It's to keep people safe. Um, uh, maybe not quite in the same way as our Jewish brethren, right? but life is a gift and we have the use of it, but never the ownership of it. Okay? And protecting life is a value. Okay, and when we have fairly clear indications of things that can harm, we're supposed to avoid them. Okay, and if in the in the name of you know, if, if, if I'm trying to be respectful without being bad myself, if in the name of religion, okay, in other words that. I love Jesus so much more than the rest of you people, okay? And I'm going to show him that I will only receive it on the tongue and make myself a pain in the ass for everybody else, okay? No, yeah. I, I think the, the thing that Jesus did wasn't the pain. What he did was his obedience, you follow up, okay. He was obedient to the will of the Father. Okay? And when somebody is going to say, no, I know better than the bishop, okay? in some senses, I don't know that you can... The communion line is not the place to have that argument. Okay? So I... Go ahead. Uh, the thing is, some people physically can't take it in the hand, 
And I don't know what the easiest way to deal with that is. Hey. Uh, I don't know if you're eager. Well, what, Peter. what do you mean by can't take it in the hand? I think John mentioned it uh, last week because his fingers and his hands and he, he, he can't right. hold. Okay, I have an elderly gentleman, okay? In other words, that obviously what when we're teaching people how to do it in our Roman rite, we're asking them to cross one hand over the other, okay? So that it looks like a cross, but it's also what St. Cyril explains. I think this is even in the Office of Readings in the Easter season, that we make a throne for the Lord, and then we take one hand okay and put it into our mouths okay but i have some people who have a difficulty and so there is one gentleman he comes up and he doesn't put his hands like that okay and i put it right between his two fingers because he has a difficulty with his hands but in other words through i recognize him he knows and he always comes to communion to me okay Am I being clear on that? Okay. Deacon George? Yeah, Anthony. So in, in our parish, we have two quadriplegics and uh, with n basically no use of their hands. Um, so they have to receive on the tongue and they come up last in the line. Sometimes, huh. sometimes they have a family member and the family member will come up with them. They'll receive in the hand for the, for, for the person and then, um, and then put it on the tongue but then the family member goes if there if there's pe if there are people behind him in in some, or whatever they'll go to the end of the line. Also, there are two two patients. Uh, I should not patients. There are two people that are fairly severe Alzheimer's disease that come up and are just incapable of understanding that they need to um, receive in their hands. The first time they came up to me. They were in the middle of the line. I just asked the family member to step to the side until the rest, the, the remainder of the parishioners received and I gave it to them last. Okay, we're, go, we're all working out what is the most respectful to the individuals because again, I think very rarely are you getting people who are trying to make a case and it's more that often that they're forgetting or not realizing um, but you seem to have handled it well. Okay. Everybody agree, Dan? Okay. The other thing is, like, in non-pandemic times when you do give uh, communion to the mouth, I can't tell you how many times I've made contact with either their tongue or their, their lips or something. And, it's, you know, I'll be going in nice and steady, and then they'll jerk their head or something. So I started putting in the side of their mouth, and, you know, then they, that, that wasn't even working either. Okay. And it's, it, it, it may be time then, Dan, for um, a discussion with the pastor of a, a reminder to the parishioners who, especially when we return to when it's going to be a choice again, okay, folks, it's important for you to realize, okay, that when you come to communion in our right and you choose the option of receiving it on the tongue, okay, that number one, you open your mouth. Number two, okay, I won't regard this as insulting. Stick your tongue out. Okay. Right. Um, but, you know, sometimes it, oh, 
As in everything, in other words, that sometimes we need to remind people in a gentle way, okay, to try to head off, okay, the difficulties. Uh, again, at communion line is not the place to have an argument. John, in our church, what the priest has done is he's got a little dish of alcohol, and if our hands come in contact with their hands, or if they put it in their mouth, we just dunk their fingers. He's got a purificator there, and then the alcohol is treated just like an ablution would be. It's in the sacrament at the end of the mass, so that seems to be because the alcohol evaporates so quickly. Uh, it sounds like a good idea. Uh, yeah. And I think even after the pandemic, almost some of these things, practices seem logical. Like, why would you stick your fingers in someone's mouth after, you know, without sanitizing? Okay. Yeah. I, 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 well, again, you shouldn't have to be sticking your fingers inside their mouth. It they just happens. Their mouth open and their tongue out. Thank <laughs> you. Go ahead. To me, I just flip it in there. Okay. Okay. Well, I put my hand in their mouth. I just flip it in. Okay. It's like playing quarters. If you're ever, <laughs> if you're ever being interviewed, Peter, okay, that like drive up, okay, confession, okay, don't want to use that word. Flip it in there. Um, well, make a note of that. Okay. Uh, we're not using the cup. Okay, so we can wait for that till next year. Let's move on, please, to. Uh, I'm going to type number on page 11, number five at the top of the page. Okay. I'm going to tell you what it says, and then I'm going to tell you why I disagree. Okay. It says that when you have finished giving out communion, you go to the, well, again, it's going to vary from place to place, but that you would bring your ciborium back to either the altar or to the tabernacle. Everybody clear on that's what happens in your places? Okay. It, it, it is ordinarily not a Eucharistic minister who puts things into the tabernacle. Okay. When I arrived at St. Gabriel's, okay, it was the custom that all Eucharistic ministers waited there until the last person returned. The celebrant put it in the ciborium in, he genuflected, he closed the door. Okay. When he genuflected, all the Eucharistic ministers genuflected as well. And the entire congregation sat down. And I went to the very liturgically minded pastor and I said, what do we, after somebody has gone to communion, where do we want them to focus? And I'm inviting you to answer that question. 
after somebody has received communion, okay, what, where do we want them focusing? Internally. Please? Internally. Internally, right? The Lord is with them, right? If we create a show, okay, with everybody hanging around, okay, so much so that that it now the closing of the tabernacle became a signal that everybody could stop kneeling and everybody return to to sit uh, sitting position, okay. In effect, we were distracting them from their focus internally on the Lord. It seemed to me. Everybody with me on that point they're trying to make there? words that action is going to attract attention on the stage and so okay i'm suggesting that okay depending on the number of people because some parishes are larger that if you're done with the ciborium okay that a better way might be to return it to the altar okay and then them gathering them into however many containers they want to and one person brings it okay over to the tabernacle but that as each individual is done okay, that they turn around and go back to their assigned place so that you don't have some kind of what i consider to be a distracting ceremony that's not part of the written ceremony in any case am i being clear why do i think people were doing that to try to show respect for the blessed sacrament but if it's if it's not leading them to where we want them to focus then we need to rethink okay so i'm telling you what's there written okay i don't want to disagree with that okay but i would be very careful on how i implemented that am i making myself clear all right and then finally number six is that part about okay, the best of all possible worlds you shouldn't serve both as a lector and minister of holy communion moving on deacon george i'm listening um just just to clarify i'm not really um a eucharistic minister in our parish but what you just read is exactly what happened to me and it's back under Father Bisignano. I was the reader at Mass. And then he, I guess he realized he didn't have enough Eucharistic ministers. And so he called out to the um, congregation, is there a Eucharistic minister who can come up and serve? And nobody came up. So he looked at me and he said, Steve. And I went up. I mean, and that happened, gosh, probably half a dozen times with him. Um, it's never happened under Monsignor. So I, that's my experience, just so you know. I was never trained. I was never, I haven't done it in a long time. My daughter's wedding, the priest called me up. That was something we had planned. He just called me up. Um, so I don't have a lot of it. So I really appreciate this. This is really excellent for me. Um, but I don't, I didn't mean to mislead you. Like I'm a Eucharistic minister, I'm not. It just so happened probably about half a dozen times under Father Bisignano. He would call, he just, I guess he got used to it. He didn't have enough people, so he'd call me up. And um, I'll never I'll never forget how scared I was the first time I had to do it. Um, you know, I never, I always feel unworthy being a reader, never mind handing out the Holy Eucharist. 
and um, without training or just it was all of which is good great. okay yeah you know it was great experience i'm and shaking <laughs> um, obviously the first time that you do in the words and that i would say really to anybody who is involved in this it's why there really is a value to a practice session with with everybody who is going to be in the new group okay practicing being the congregation and each person getting with unconsecrated hosts okay the the reality of the variety of presentations that people are going to make okay you do get used to it and there are still going to be the the things that are going to throw you for a loop okay and you do them as best you can and uh, example um, that even giving communion in the hand in other words i've had people who you know they start to take it okay, and then they dropped it onto the floor right in front of me okay what i have done okay probably not the best safety thing is I have reached down okay, and I've consumed it immediately. Okay. I had on Sunday a woman who took a step away, she dropped it onto the floor, okay, and then she picked it up. Okay, and she said, I dropped this. Okay. And I wasn't going to tell her to consume it. I wound up putting it in my hand, okay? And then when communion was over, I put that in the tabernacle until I could get a, a vessel of water, okay? Because it had, you know, if it had only touched the floor and I picked it up, I probably would have consumed it. But you don't have to do that. You could put it in a glass of water. Okay, and wait till it dissolves. And when it no longer has the appearance of bread, the Eucharistic presence is not there anymore. Am I clear? Okay. All right. Moving on. All right. We're now in the question and answer parts that I think were the were pretty valuable. So number one. May the Eucharistic minister go to the tabernacle? And the answer is no. Okay. Were we doing this at the beginning? Yes. Okay. Um, change in policy. If you are, however, as a Eucharistic minister, I think this would be pretty rare in this diocese, maybe up in the northern northern counties where you will be exposing the blessed sacrament for adoration in a monstrance and you were delegated to do that okay then you could go to the tabernacle but ordinarily during mass okay acolyte instituted acolyte or deacon or priest is the one who goes to the tabernacle everybody clear okay Number two, may you bring it home and go make your visits later on that day. 
Now, okay, this is like Monopoly, okay? Do not pass go, do not collect $200, okay? So that if you have a PIX, okay, you're going from the reception of the PIX directly to, okay, the distribution. Number three, okay, and this is always helpful for the, you arrive at somebody's house, maybe you told them you were gonna be there at a 10 and for whatever reason you're there at 9.30 and they say, I just finished breakfast, okay? Is it okay to give them communion? Yes, because for the sick, the fast rules do not apply. And if it's going to be somebody who is taking care of the sick person, and they also, that extension of no obligation of the fast applies to those who were taking care of the sick person as well. Okay on that for everybody? Okay. Water obviously never, never breaks the fast. Although, depending on how sick the person is, how, how many of you have brought communion to a shut-in? Okay. You know that it's probably usually, depending on how sick they are, it's usually valuable to have a glass of water ready um, okay, before you start, rather than going grasping for one while they're choking to death. Okay. And you also realize that, it, again, with the uh, communion of the sick, okay, it may be that you're only giving them a sliver of the host okay, rather than the entire thing because they have difficulty swallowing. Okay. All right. Can the precious blood be reserved and given to a sick person? And the answer to that is yes. Um, you know, I, I, since I've been ordained, I've had a lot, not a lot, but I've had more experience than previous in my life with being close to dying people. And when folks are in extremis, most of them are not capable of receiving the Eucharist under the former bread, okay? And I've wondered why, okay, that we don't have, what this allows, yeah, a drop of the precious blood would still be viaticum and it would be something that was way easier for them to swallow. Everybody with me on that? Okay, but I, I am aware of no place that really makes provision for that. Um, but I see as something that that should be, you know, I'd like to see somehow in the future. Okay, but that's again, way above our pay grade. Okay. All right. Everybody clear on what five and six? Six, you don't purify the vessels at mass. Number seven, May you consume the what's remaining in the chalice. Again, this is pandemic time, so none of your parishes are using the chalice. 
Okay, number eight. Okay. At a concelebration, the Lamb of God, okay, the deacon, if there is a deacon, will take a paten and offer the paten to each of the concelebrating priests who will take one of the individual hosts, the deacon brings the paten back to the altar, the, so, those concelebrants receive communion when the, when the principal celebrant receives the host. It is because of that, that I have occasionally with some folk, probably elderly priests, who want to give me communion as if I'm a concelebrant. So he wants to give me a piece of the host before he's gone to communion. Am I clear on what the problem is? Okay. And usually the one of the ways that I have solved that, well, just ultimately I say, after you, Father. Okay. But I am, I don't approach the altar until in the pre-pandemic days when he put the chalice back down was when I came close to receive communion so that I wasn't there for him to hand it to me. Do folks understand that? Okay. The deacon receives communion. The deacon receives communion after the celebrant. Okay. As acolytes, eventually, as lectors now, you would receive it after the people. Or not after the people, but after uh, any clergy. Everybody clear on that? All right. Okay, so number 10, is it proper for an extraordinary minister to go to the altar and give communion to themselves during mass? No. All right, got that? Okay. I have to tell you, okay, I have a Nigerian priest who tells me that in Nigeria, the deacons communicate themselves. I don't know whether he's telling me truth, but I tell him every time okay, that if we get a letter from the archbishop that I'm throwing him under the bus, okay? Uh, am I fighting with him at the altar? No, I'm not, okay? Am I not going to communion because he won't give it to me? No, I'm gonna receive communion, but, okay? He does know that I don't like it, okay? Because it's according to this, it's wrong. Everybody with me? Why is it wrong? Because it is always a gift. And that's the part that we try, why we don't have a basket and everybody comes up and takes one, okay? It is always a gift. Peter? You have a responsibility to report him? Nah, I don't think so. If he, Peter, if he threw the Eucharist down on the floor and stomped on it, okay, then I'd report him, okay? 
we're back to that principle okay, that we established earlier in the course of when in Rome do as the Romans do, okay? And we keep trying to say to him, but you're not in Nigeria, okay? And I don't even know that they in fact do that in Nigeria, but okay, number 12, okay? And we're back to, okay, I like the phrasing of this, the practice of giving blessings in the course of distributing Holy Communion is discouraged. Okay. So that's in the light of our previous conversation. Okay. Is it a gigantic no-no? No. Okay. Should you be doing it? No. Okay. You're going to get in trouble if you do? No. Okay. Everybody with me on that? You're trying to make pastoral adaptations. All right, and now I'm going to be really bad and I hope, okay. I'm back to that business of obedience is part of the gift, okay, even when you would prefer otherwise. Okay, there are people who, and this can really throw you for a loop if you're not ready for it. This person is coming up to communion and they're getting ready and all of a sudden they disappear on you because they flopped down onto the ground, okay? I'm bad, I call them holy floppers, okay? I'm worried about their kneecaps because they literally fall down, okay? And they're falling down on marble. But the point that I'm making is that if they have knelt down, even though in the United States, our bishops have asked us to receive communion standing, okay, should you refuse them? The answer is no. Again, we don't have fights on the communion line. Everybody with me on that? Okay. Yes, Peter. In the past, before the pandemic, we were, we were told to be careful if someone takes the Eucharist and walks away. Oh, uh, yeah. They consumed it. Correct? Yes, you would want to be careful of that. Um, um, you still want to be careful for that. Um, you know, one of the... You've, I'm pretty sure most of you have heard Frank Orlando say that when you have cathedral duty, that means assisting the Archbishop's Mass at 1015 on a Sunday, okay, usually pre-pandemic, you came in a little bit early to assist with giving out communion at the nine o'clock Mass, which was beforehand. Okay, So you wound up giving out because the cathedral could be packed. So there are lots of people giving out communion. And Frank Orlando's line is that he's always convinced that in fact, he's given tons of people their first Holy Communion, okay? Because they come up, because everybody else is coming up, okay? It is a fair question if you know, somebody comes to you, hands at their sign and smiles, okay? Then you might say to them, quietly and respectfully, are, are you a Catholic? Oh, no, right? we're Buddhists. Right? Well, God bless you then, okay? And you don't give them communion. 
But we can't say, God bless you, if we're not a deacon. That's, that's an example of where you want to get to know that, that, that this interview is over. Okay. Are you with me? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so at weddings, deacon, you know, often I hear the priest celebrating the mass at a wedding say, uh, announce basically, you know, who's qualified and who's not to receive communion. But I've never heard that said in the cathedral. Um, that I can remember anyway. Okay. Well, what what you will see in the cathedral is that they. they uh, I'm pretty sure for all the Sunday Masses, I could be wrong, but that there is a printed program with even the hymns as well as the responsorial psalm, and it is a big section in that program of who is and who is not invited okay, to receive. Uh, so do they say it all the time? No, they don't. Okay but it is written. I think you'll also notice, I th think by decision of the conference, every one of our missalettes, no matter what company, has it on the inside front cover. Yes. Okay. Um, or the, not only at weddings, Doug, also at funerals. Okay. Uh, I will say there are ways of doing it nicely and there are ways that I, I get a little skeevy feeling, okay? Um, I think one needs to do it delicately, okay? Um, that makes sense then? I went to a funeral mass and um, the, the priest said, if you're not Catholic, do not come up for communion. And a few people were Lutheran, and they were very upset by it. And they said that they believe in the Eucharist being the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and they didn't understand why they couldn't receive communion. Okay, and, and the the answer is because, okay, uh, that then in fact, okay, Lutherans do not believe have the same understanding of the Eucharist as. Catholics and Orthodox do. Okay? In other words, they believe that um, if we believe in transubstantiation, the Lutheran view is consubstantiation. So that by the power of the Spirit, okay, the bread gains the presence of Christ but it doesn't stop being bread. Are you with me? Okay. That's not what we in the Orthodox believe. It's no longer bread, even though it looks like bread, even though it tastes like wine. So am, am I making sense on that? There's an example of where probably explaining of, of um, explaining why you're saying what you're saying, okay? We are about to have Holy Communion, okay? Part of our Catholic understanding is a line from St. Paul, which is, 
that he who eats and drinks the body and blood of the Lord unworthily eats and drinks unto himself. I, I think the word is destruction. Condemnation, I think, is the word. Okay, And because of that scriptural teaching, okay, we strongly advise okay, that a person who is conscious of mortal sin should not be approaching the Eucharist. We also believe that our Eucharistic communion is a sign of our fullness of agreement of belief. Okay? And so while our Orthodox brothers and sisters believe exactly the same thing that we believe about the Eucharist, okay, and we would invite them to participate, okay, we are reminding them that their pastors would prefer that they don't and they should respect, okay, okay, be obedient to their pastors. I have some Polish friends and they believe that even if they don't have a mortal sin, they still can't receive communion. It's like they can't have any sin. They have to go to confession first. Okay, that's a little survival of, of the heresy Jansenism. Um, and I think I've spoken to you guys before about my grandmother, right? She would never, went to Mass every day and only went to, mat, to communion on Saturday immediately following that confession before Mass, okay? Um, there was a lot of bad preaching going on, okay? Remember, before Pius XII, I'm sorry, before Pius X, communion of the laity was rare, okay? Clear? All right. Last point, this is this from Father McNamara. This is about the ablution cup, okay? On the side of most of your tabernacles is a little probably glass container and probably a tiny little purificator towel do folks understand what I'm talking about? Okay. Under the, if you will, pre-Vatican II, pre-Vatican II, an assisting priest for communion would come out in cassock, surplice, and stole, would assist with Holy Communion, and after putting the ciborium back in the tabernacle, remember he only touched it with those two fingers, he would then purify those two fingers, okay, in that ablution cup, wipe it on the towel, okay, and then go back to the sacristy. For those of you who are old enough to remember that the celebrant, would put those four fingers over the chalice and there was a double pour that there was first a pouring of wine over his fingers, okay, which he then consumed the wine, okay? And then there was a pouring of 
more water over the fingers so that the fingers were purified after touching the Blessed Sacrament. Everybody with me on what was? Okay. Is there still an ablution cup next to most of your tabernacles? Yes. If you could see a piece of the Blessed Sacrament, okay, however tiny, okay, on your finger, then you should use the ablution cup. If you can't see anything, don't use it, is what he's saying in this article. Everybody with me? Okay. You're going to see a lot of guys. Okay. I'm going to say, you know, this is where we talk about the mixing of the rites. Okay. This, the, the mass of Paul VI, we don't do that. Okay. Am I being clear? Okay. Do you use it if you can see something? Yes, you do. If you can't see anything, okay, then what, what you're winding up doing is making a big deal out of it, right? So if, if the celebrant is not purifying his fingers, okay, under the new ritual for the Mass, okay, and the Eucharistic ministers are making a big show of doing it, in other words, that they're not following what seem to be the guidelines. And by giving you this whole article, okay, I think it's a rather extended explanation, but it's trying to explain all of the ins and the outs. Okay. Are there any... So, George? Go ahead. So my, my wife's been a Eucharistic minister for a long time. In our parish, they have the ablution bowl with a damp purificator in it. And the Eucharistic minister, yeah, and they kind of touch their fingers on it after they're finished distributing communion. Okay. Have you seen that before? No, uh, but 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 you know, what you might do is make a copy of this, okay, and show this to your pastor. Say, you think oh, no, I'm not, I won't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you could talk to him if you want. By the way, down in the cathedral, okay, remember if you've watched at the cathedral that there is a little table on the inside of the altar rail, okay, and priests or ministers returning from up and down the aisles, okay, put that ciborium on that table, okay, and many of them, I think there's an ablution cup there as well, okay. So I'm just saying that, okay. All right, my wife, I just clarified that with my wife. It's not as bad as I thought. The, okay. pure, the ablation, ablution bowl is there with water. The purificator is next to it, but everyone who distributes communion dips their fingers in the bowl and then dries them on the purificator. Okay, why? Not sure, it's just, we'll call it custom and practice. They didn't want any fragments that was left on your finger. The possibility of fragments, my wife's saying. Show your wife the article. All right, I'll have her talk for the Monsignor then. (laughs) 
are there other questions? Yes, John. When you take communion to the sick, I happen to have my own picks. Ordinarily, there's no fragments. When you do have to break one of the, you know, break one of the hosts, there's fragments. I I can uh, purify that myself, right? Okay. All, all of this stuff was about during mass, right. John. Okay. Um, I talk about the should, the word should. Like our priest does not want us to self-communicate even with leftover. He wants them brought back. Um, if, if it's reasonable, he wants to, you know, if it's unreasonable and you can't, we have self-consume or self-communicate the last, you know, if there's pieces left. But one of the questions I have is because my priest does not want us to, I give somebody two so I don't have one left over. Is that un unreasonable? Not unreasonable. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay, in fact, it's pretty good a, a wise choice. Okay. I will be sending you for next week, okay? Um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to suggest that I, I forget how many of you only have the one volume. How many guys only have one volume? Okay, three, right? For those of you who don't have the, for those of you who do have the four volume, okay, I'm going to suggest that sometime during Advent, and not trying to get in necessarily for next week's class, you read the general instruction on the liturgy of the hours which is in volume one of the four volume series. So just as the general instruction on the Roman Missal is at the beginning of the Missal, so in volume one is the general instruction and it gives you the whole theory of the office, the explanation of the organization as well as eventually getting into a little bit of rubrics, but it's more important that you are, oh, it would probably, I can't say that I've done this, but it's probably that every year when you get back to volume one, it would be a good idea to reread that general instruction as a way of reminding yourself about what the whole thing is about. I'm making sense in what I'm trying to get across there. Uh, it's really valuable stuff. Uh, I'm still looking for those of you who only have the one volume. You've got you've got a shortened version of it. Okay? They don't give you the full germ, not germ, but uh, general instruction on the liturgy of the hours. Uh, but read what's there at the beginning. Right? In other words, at least you're getting some of the the valuable stuff. Deacon, is there any update on when the new revision of the Liturgy of the Hours is going to be published? I've heard nothing. I'm inclined to think that because of the pandemic, that it got pushed to a back burner and nobody's working on it. Um, so we might as well get the four volumes set now then. I yeah. mean, I can't waiting, but nothing's happening, so. Okay. You know what? Who is your pastor? Monsignor Jenderko. Oh, okay. 
So he's talked in been talked to Jim Durko. All right. He's one of the good guys. Oh um, yeah, definitely. Uh, but I would say to him, okay, Monsignor, okay, the next time some friend of yours, priest friend of yours dies, okay, can you get me his breviary? Okay. Can you hear my wife laughing in the uh, back? Yeah. Why should you spend a hundred bucks? Okay. On... She sees him every morning at the bus stop outside the Catholic school, so maybe I'll have her ask him. Okay. You can get him pretty good on uh, eBay. Right. Probably it's yeah. probably somebody's old copy, right? Right. 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 Is that just, so, just, just, I'm saying to you, there's, there's nothing necessarily wrong it, it's like it's like reading a second hand book of one of the great classics and some people are underliners and some people write notes in the margin some people it drives them right up the wall if they don't have a clean copy but other people like being in effect by looking at the the margin notes that you're engaging in some conversation with somebody that you've never met about what's the importance of this. Okay. Uh, I, I make notes in my breviary. Okay. I like Dan's idea. It'd be easy to pick up an old copy. Okay. Pick up yeah. now. Worth getting. Right? Yeah. But I, I think it, I think Doug, that the reality is the probability is that the committee who's working on the revision of the lectionary is probably getting more resources given to them than the ones given the job of uh, updating the breviary. Um, why? Because it's got a wider impact. That makes sense to people? Okay. Um, and, and the plan is, is there, and I think I've mentioned that to you, that there is a new revision of the, the, the Grail translation of the Psalms. The Grail was a group of English women who sponsored that poetic translation of the Psalms. And our American bishops used that in the breviary the Conception Abbey out in Conception, Missouri, their scripture scholars revised it and come the new breviary and come the new lectionary, we will always be using the same translation of the Psalms in public prayer so that the missal and the breviary will agree with one another. You've probably noticed that sometimes when Psalm 95, your invitatory, appears in the Missal, that it's a different translation okay, than what you're, you've got memorized. Um, but eBay, the best idea, or one of the others. Okay, Dan, we're hoping that you get really well and all your family okay, rapidly recovers. Okay, and uh, I, 
I don't know if Frank announced this to that ordination is tentatively June the 5th for okay, this coming year. So hopefully we'll all have vaccines and uh, okay, that that will go on as planned. Um, you just needs to finalize that, but you can pencil that in in your calendars. Okay, John Tremblay, do you have a question? No? All right. Gentlemen, it has been good to be with you all. And in the absence of any other questions, as God has blessed us in our coming, so may he guard us in our going. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, forever. Go in peace. Classes in the